first Sunday of the year, how many of you ever wondered where to start and what to start with and, and how to move from here to there and how to, how to get things going? You, you ever been in those places? You say, well, how would I start a new business? How would I, how would I start living for the Lord? All these questions, when you start something new, there's a lot of questions. And if we're not careful, we'll have so many questions that we talk ourselves out that we can't answer. That we'll talk ourselves right out of going ahead with something that the Lord's really put in our heart. You ever been there? Amen. Okay, we got three people in the house. So y'all need a vision of, from the Lord is what you need, okay? <clears throat> so, um, so here's what I want to talk to you about. Title of today's message is, whatever you have, start with that. Amen. Whatever you have, start with that. And you probably think I was going to go to the parable of the talents, but that's not. That is a very good, good place. But start with what you have. If you've got something, whatever it is, you start with that and you build on that. So here, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3 verse 1 says this. And the angel of the Lord of the church of Sardis write, oh, hallelujah, y'all got my big screen up where I can read from there now, glory to God. We've always had the screen, I just can't see very far. To, and to the angel of the church of Sardis, write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. Listen to me. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. Your pastor didn't say that. I just read that. Jesus said it. Watch this. This is letter to the church. It's not to the heathen. Be watchful. and Watch this. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. He's saying, hey, what you got, strengthen them, build on it, take what you got. Don't look for something you ain't got yet. Take what you got, that that remains, and you strengthen it. It's ready to die, but strengthen it. Uh, can you go back one, Venetia? It says, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Now, that's some strong language. When, when the Lord speaks to you and says, I, I, I'm just going to talk to you real minute in private, just me and you. But what you're doing ain't good enough. I've given you something. You're supposed to build on that. See, we thank God we get saved and he does all that work and he does. And that we're just supposed to set back on our blessed assurance. Carl, where you, what was that thing you said a while ago? Something about effort? Can you, can you remember? That's profound. It's all up to him, but our effort is required. Come on. That's good. So watch. <clears throat> Next verse. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard what? What God's told you. God's given you something. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. I want to focus in on uh, verse 2, these words. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Every person in this room has something that the Lord has given you, a calling. You already know what it is. You're, you say that I'm waiting on the Lord to tell me. You already know. But it's been dying over the years because you have not been, been uh, cultivating that. You've not been taking things and putting things in place for that thing to be strengthened that already remains. Because when he put it in you, it's there. It's there. Just because you don't recognize it don't mean it went away. It's still there. 
We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So I want to go back to uh, something I told you last year. I always love last year telling you about stuff last year that I told you because you don't remember it. Matter of fact, I can tell you stuff about three weeks ago and you don't remember it. I've had people come up to me and tell me about my message and say, now what was the title of that three weeks ago? I don't know. It just sounded good when I put it on a piece of paper. I'm, I'm, I know y'all are not like me. I'm just telling you like I am, okay? So last year I told you about me remodeling my barn. I got an old, uh, had an old ugly barn. It's not ugly anymore. It's the ugliest old barn in four counties. Do you hear me? It was ugly. I mean, it, I wish I had. I just went through a couple weeks ago and cleaned up my computer on pictures. But it was the ugliest old tin. Stuff was on top of it. Limbs. It was just nasty looking. And I said, I'm going to tear that old barn down. And uh, I got to looking. And then I got my wife to looking. That's the main thing. If you want to keep a structure around your yard, you get your wife looking at it. And she'll tell you whether it's good or not. Okay? And so... So I got looking at that old barn. I said, you know, I think I can restore that barn. That is, that is a great barn. It was built in the 60s. It was a horse barn at one time. It was the first barn built in the 1,000-acre uh, property where I live. I don't own a 1,000 acres in Jesus' name, but if you're, if you're blessing, amen. But I'm saying where I live, uh, it was a, a barn. And it was just run down, and it was horrible. And I thought, I'm going to save that barn I did. So I'm going to save that barn. Then I run it by my wife to ask her, was that a good idea? Come on, somebody. Some of y'all aren't married and it shows, okay? Some of y'all stay in the doghouse all the time, you men, and it shows, amen? But what started my reconstruction, what gave me a vision for something new besides my wife, was the strong dislike for that ugly barn. Had some nostalgia about it. It Beautiful cypress wood, some of it 19 inches wide. Just awesome. But man, the roof was caving. It looked like a swayback horse. It's terrible. But what started my vision to reconstruct what I already had was the idea that I disliked that building so much that it needed to change. We can talk about vision today being the first day of the year, and that'd be great, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But the first thing you got to come to realization is you got to dislike where you are in order to have a vision of where you want to go. And so I want to talk to us for a few minutes on this dislike. So number one, what did I have to do? What do you have to do in order to reconstruct, reinvent yourself, if you will, into really what God wants you to do. First thing you got to do is you got to dislike where you are. Because if you like where you are, you're never moving. If you're okay with where you are spiritually, if you're okay with praying once a week or once a month, guess what? If you don't dislike that, you're going to stay right where you are. If you're okay living paycheck to paycheck, you can stay right there. Nobody's going to be mad. Nobody's going to say anything about it. You can stay right there. If you're, okay, if you're okay being unhappy where you are in life and doing what you're doing on your same old job, you can stay right there. Nobody's going to be mad except you. You've got to dislike where you are. Most of you know, 30-plus years ago, I went broke. I didn't like that a bit. I don't know about y'all, but I like to eat. And I like being able to go and buy things and, and, and eat. 
I like stuff. There's nothing wrong with stuff as long as you have stuff and stuff don't have you. Come on. And so I disliked that so much I said, I'm going to change. I did some things between that moment and where I am now that I did not really care for, but it was part of the process to get me to where I am today. So in your, in your quest for what God wants you to do and what, you, what he has in mind for 2023, there'll be some things that you have to do that you may not like, but you're still in God's will. Amen. Preach, this is going to be good. Just hang tight. It gets better. So the first thing, I had to dislike that old building. The second thing, before I, could, before I could come up with a vision, I had to dislike it, and then I got a vision of what I wanted it to look like. And when I had that vision in my head, I went in and said, Honey, what do you think about this? And then she told me whether it was a good vision or not. You men are real quiet in the church today because y'all like, mm-hmm. In your heart, you're jumping up and down saying hallelujah. Come on, that's something you got to get over in 2023. Your wife knows more about stuff than you do. And if you don't believe it, just ask her. So I had to have a vision of what I wanted it to be. What was it going to look like when I, when I took what was in my, in reality, this ugly barn, when I looked at that and I saw it and I see in my mind only what it was going to look like, did I like it? Some of the stuff in your life you're going to look at and say, I don't know if I even like that. I don't, that's not me. Well, that's where you follow God. God can change your heart along the way and do things you don't like to do in order to get you where he wants you to be so you can do what he wants you to do. Problem with most church folks, we've educated ourselves so much that we know more than God and we don't want, to mess, we don't want God to mess up what we have going on. It's time for some of us to let God mess us up. The third thing in this reconstruction thing is... I had to look and see what I had to work with. That, that When I got through tearing off all the ugly, what was I going to have to work with? The Bible says that a, that a man is going to build a house ought to count the cost. All right? So I had to go in there. And first of all, when I got my vision, I always had to run the finances by the wife. Because her vision is dependent upon how much it cost. Praise the Lord that God is not limited by finances. If he gives you a vision, guess what? He got the provision. Amen? Amen? And so I, I put all this in, and I looked at and I thought, okay, I, I, I thoroughly, because I am a carpenter to some degree, I thoroughly went through this building, and I began to look at the post, and I began to look at some of the structure, the rafters or the side panels. What can I keep? And I began to poke on this and that with a screwdriver, see if it was rotten or did it have termites. And began to look and see had the roof uh, sagged up. Do I need to replace this, that, or the other? And as I began to, to take note, I realized I got a lot of stuff that remains here that's very good stuff. This vision's going to fly because it's not going to cost me a whole lot. And so as I began, I said, okay. I left and I, and I had my notes. I know what I got to work with. You know what? God already knows what he's got to work with you. See, you bring God you, that's our biggest problem. You bringing you to God. You bring you to God, and guess what? He's got you from there. 
He, he already knows what he's got to work with. He's not going to take inventory. He knew you before you was born. He said, I knew you before the, even, even you ever thought of. I knew you. I'm the one formed you. He knows what he's got to work with. What he needs is you to show up so he can work with you. Okay? So watch. So I knew what I had to work with. And then the fourth thing. I had to get rid of anything that was going to keep that vision of that building from coming to, coming to fruition. I had to get rid of all of that. I had to look and say, that board's not going to work. It's structurally no good. I had to tear that out. I had to get rid of that because that wasn't so, so going to support my new vision. My new building, it wasn't going to support the new tin. We call it tin in country boy. It was a metal roofing if you're wealthy. I did get metal roofing, by the way, and I'm not wealthy because I knew what I had to work with. And, and so I began to go through and I began to tear out all of that stuff that was no good, that wasn't going to support what I wanted that thing to look like. I'm going somewhere with this. And as I began to tear out stuff, and that pile that I began to tear out was just getting uglier and uglier and dirtier and nastier. And I'm thinking, man, that's no good. Why was that even in here? You ever done that? You ever went to your storage building and said, what, what? there's that thing I've been looking for for five years. It's been so important to me. Oh, yeah, it's so important you didn't know where it was. Sam told me the other day she was going to clean out Lexi's closet. Christmas was coming. Always slim around the house, you know, Christmas and for a grandkid. How many can I get an amen from a grandparent? Amen. Yes. And she began to take things out. Oh, mama, that, that's my favorite doll. That's my favorite toy. Her mother is a whole lot like me. You hadn't played with that in six months. You didn't even know I had it. Oh, but mom, don't. And just, you know, in the floor like this is losing an arm. You ever had even seen anything like that? You ever done anything like that? Some of you are going to be like that this year when God starts taking things away from you that you thought was prized possessions to you and you ain't used it in years. Come on now. I'm going somewhere. And so that pile got uglier and uglier. And you know what I did? I just put a match and some diesel on that. Burnt that right up. You know why? Because I didn't want to be tempted with reusing something that wasn't going to support my vision. Now, I am a carpenter, and I usually don't throw anything away till I get through with the project because there's usually something in that pile that I can go get and reuse. David, do, can I get an amen, David? Amen. <laughs> you, you just collect metal, I collect wood. It's the same difference. We got the same problem, Okay. But I knew what I was getting rid of. I made that decision that, that this is going. And this is not going to help my vision of what I want this building to be like. And so I set a match to it, you know. So I had no, there was no chance whatsoever of me reusing something that wasn't going to support the vision of what I wanted that building to look like. By now, you figured out where I'm going with this message, but I want to bring it home a little bit more. Let me tell you this, that dislike turns into vision. And vision turns to work. And work turns into transformation. Let me read it to you again. Dislike 
turns into vision. And vision turns into work. That's where we lose our vision most of the time. When it turns into work, we thought, I thought God was going to do it all by himself, and I didn't have to do anything, and he was going to set me up in this position, and all I had to do was show up. Good luck with that. It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen in God's world, and it doesn't happen in the real world. The Bible says that a man don't want to work, don't let him eat. Do you think he's going to contradict his word when it comes to your calling? you got to get up and do something. That effort has to come into place, Carl. So when you're thinking that God's just going to put you in a place and everything's going to be fine and he's going to slay the enemy for you while you sit over there and do nothing, well, you're badly mistaken. So what is the work? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. So in order for a vision to come to life, You must stop this. I want you to get this. You must stop saying, what I see is all I'll ever be. You've got to get rid of that. That kills the vision. If what I currently see, see, if I looked at that building and said, "That's, that's all it's ever going to be, I never would have had a really nice little building now. It's really cool. I even had Dale come put some electricity in it. It's cool. My wife says, I keep acting up. I can build a little room out there. <laughs> Thank God I got electricity. Had a vision. Amen. But I looked at that building and I saw this is my vision. But if I only looked at what it currently was, I would have never took the step forward to make it what it is today. And a lot of you get up every Sunday, every Monday, every Wednesday, Thursday, whatever, and you look in the mirror and you said, well, God still hadn't done anything with me yet. I still see me. Well, guess what? I got a little news flash for you. Every time you get up and you look in the mirror, you're going to see you. And if you don't see you, you got problems. Come on. You need to be somebody that broke in your house. You've got to look and say, "I, I know what I see. But God has a bigger plan for me. And what I currently see is not getting me to the vision God's given me. So i got to start doing some things. So let's talk about, let's get real now. Okay? So the first thing you, some things you must do, I'll say first, but some things you must do. You must dislike what you see, have a vision for what you want to become, find out what, what's this? Find out what's causing the decay or the deadness or your inability to move forward. you got to find out what that is. You got it. 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 Everybody in this room has got something that causes your deadness and your decay to rise up. I don't care who you are. You're not perfect. There wasn't but one perfect, and he's not here with us anymore. He's done walked and left. And the next thing is, you've got to not only identify it, find out what the cause is, but you've got to get rid of, there's this work, you've got to get rid of the decay, that which is dead in your life. See, I could have left some of that old, some of them old rafters up on that old building. Problem was, on a couple of spots, the tin had flipped over a few times, and the wood had become weather rotten. And I know enough about carpentry that if you don't get rid of that, that rot is like cancer. And it will run all the way up that board 
and it'll be that board that's supporting some main structure. And all of a sudden, you'll walk in, walk out to your building one day, and it'll be collapsed. Same thing spiritually. In your life, there's some people, things, and places that are causing decay. Come on, somebody. And causing you to be dead. And you got to start figuring out how am I going to get rid of those people in my life. Pastor, that's awful hard. Yeah, uh, but if we'd have been listening to the Lord a long time ago, we wouldn't be in this spot. So here's where the work comes in. You know, God had a perfect plan for you, right? You understand that, right? He had a perfect plan for you and me. It's because of our crazy choices that we get ourselves in these binds. And then we get connected and get hooked up with people we were never supposed to be hooked up with. But in order for you to fulfill the vision and the thing that God has for you, you got to start getting rid of some of that stuff. Well, I thought you'd shout me down every now and then, but we're good. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, 7, and 8, it says this. Now, David was greatly distressed. And let me tell you why he was greatly distressed. He had had his army set up. He went, and went a different direction. He left women and children behind. And the army outmaneuvered him, came up behind him, and killed everybody in the camp. David was king. David was the chief commander. You know, he's commander-in-chief. He was the guy. And when he left, the enemy had outsmarted him, came in, killed everybody. And he was just, he was depressed that he had made a bad decision. He was like, oh, my gosh, what, is, what have I done to my people that loved me, that followed me, supported me? Look at these dead children. Look at these dead wives and, and these daughters. that are, They're all dead because of my decisions. Watch it, and we can learn from King David. It says, for the people spoke of stoning him. It was so bad that his own people, the one that loved him a few years ago, said, oh, King David, you're the man. Now they want to stone him. Now they want to kill him because he made one decision wrong. Come on, you're going to make wrong decisions and people around you may want to stone you. Don't listen to him. Watch. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people, they were grieved, they were mad, they were hurt. You ever been around those people that were hurt and mad at you? Well, then you hadn't lived very long then. You live in a cave somewhere with nobody around you. Just keep living, keep doing, you'll, you'll find them, they'll, they'll come out. It says, every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You know what he done? He looked beyond what he currently was seeing, what he currently was feeling, his emotions. He looked beyond it and said, that is not me. That's what not, God didn't call me to be depressed. God didn't call me to be grieved. God didn't call me to, to throw in the towel right here. He said he looked, he strengthened himself in the Lord, and he said, he's my God. Well, how do we do that, Pastor? Well, it's called this thing called the B-I-B-L-E. Basic instruction before leaving earth. Guess what? It's basic instructions while you're here. But you got to read it. you got to know that he's your God. It's one thing for me to tell you that he's your God. It's one thing for me to tell you that he's your rear guard. He's your strong tower. He's your refuge. He's the one you run to. But it's another thing for you to experience it for yourself. I'm preaching better than your amen in me. Verse 7 says, then David said to Abathar the priest, 
You ever start a word and you can't get it out and you just notice quit? A homilex, not the homilic mover, but a homilex son. Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. Now, an ephod was simply uh, basically two or three categories, but each one had something different that would signify you're of a different status, uh, if you will. Kind of like um, in the army or the military, you had different, different stripes and different brass. It meant you were at a level, okay? And so some was just embroidered. Some was embroidered with, with gold and silver and some. And then you had the king's ephod. There was no mistake when the king walked out with his ephod. You didn't have to wonder. Now, I wondered, is this going to be two stripes or three stripes for the king? His was totally different. And King David strengthened himself. And the Lord told the priest, Abathar, go get my ephod. I like that. Some of you need to go get your ephod that God gave you a long time ago. Somebody need to look in your closet and find out where's the ephod that God gave me. Man, I'm telling you, I'm preaching better than your amen. If you amen me, we'll get out by noon tomorrow. Gay man, glory to God. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, this is what the Lord answered, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Now watch. You don't need a new anointing. You need to strengthen that which is already in you. When God anointed you and you messed up and you've not been following God, he didn't pull his anointing from you, contrary to what some people believe. I can show you an example. Samson. Samson was anointed from birth. Go back and read the story. God even gave instructions to his parents how to hold on and keep the anointing. Don't shave his head. The anointing's in his hair. Crazy parents. Don't let him marry somebody down the road in another tribe. Crazy parents. What happened? Y'all know the story. Every time it says, and the Spirit, capital S in the Old Testament means the Holy Ghost. The Spirit came upon him and he done what God wanted him to do. And he done that three or four times. Crazy women. <laughs> I didn't think I'd really get an amen. I just want to see if you're still awake. Amen. Some of you are. I see the looks on your face. You, you, all you ladies are still awake. You know what I'm saying. I'm messing with you. But you don't need a new anointing. You already have one. King David didn't need a new ephod. He already had one. Come on, watch. King David didn't get a new anointing because he was depressed. He simply said, I'll strengthen myself in God, the one who already gave me the anointing, and I'll ask of him, what do you want me to do? I just believe this is what happened. The Holy Spirit spoke to David and said, tell the priest, run down the hallway And get your kingly ephod. Because I want you to put it on. Because you've been looking in the mirror too long at you without what I put on you. And he went down the hall. And I can just imagine Abathar coming back with that held out. Maybe with two or three servants. Because this was a heavy little thing. And he come back and he said, David, just get in it. Can you imagine 
if we just begin to slip into what God already had for us. Will you hold my jacket for you? Help me put my jacket. Come on, fellas. Help me put my jacket on. Come on. This thing's heavy. You're my priest, amen. I'd have hair on my priest, but you're going to work today. Ain't no money in that. This is a, you know. But can you imagine? Spread it out kind of wide so I, I'm big boy. You got to get up here. I'm, you ever got any nice clothes, Scott? You ever went to a, what, one of those tailors and when they slip it on you? Okay. Well, look here. So King David, Abathar said, now, now put your arm in it. Can you imagine what began to happen right now? Don't put the unknown yet. He began to feel the weight of that anointing. Watch this. Come on now. You, good Lord, you got it up. And then you begin to feel that anointing. They're horrible tailors. They begin to feel the anointing. He says, man, this feels good. This feels like it's supposed to fit. Come on. Feels good. I think I like this. Abathar, would you bring me a mirror? Sure, King David. And I'm sure he scurried off with his little helpers, and he brought back a full-length mirror. And I believe that David stood in front of that mirror and looked at himself the way God was seeing him as a king, kingly anointed that God had called from a boy and God raised him up and God gave him many trials along the way and he was ridiculed and he was mocked because he was so small but I believe he looked in that mirror and he saw what God intended for him to be and he said "All right, I'm I'm back boys, let's get this thing going I'm thinking to fulfill a vision that God has put in my heart it's time for us to get started Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, you pursue after him David, and I'll give you everything that I already promised you. I'm telling you, it's time for this church to pursue what God's already put in us. And it's Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples unto all the world, and we'll start in Lake Village. Come on, somebody, give him praise. When God anoints you, it's always there. Don't listen to the devil telling you that's not in you. That was a long time ago. He's done forgot about that. When God promises you something, he don't forget. Holy Spirit, God's like my little granddaughter. She don't forget a thing. Nothing. You promise her a a doll or a dollar or a a Mentos or whatever it is, she's going to come up to you when you don't get that in a day or two and say, hey, Papa, did you forget? No, baby, she ain't been by the store. Or yes, I did. God doesn't forget. That ephod was simply an outer garment. It really didn't do anything to King David. He was still the same King David on the inside before he put the ephod on as he was when he wore it. But it's something about that ephod. When the world began to see it and said, our king is back. Our king is no longer depressed. Our king is no longer beat down. Our king's going to lead us again. Our king's going to fulfill a vision that God put in his heart. Some of you need to look at yourself just like that when you look in the mirror. You need to go home after church today and you look in the mirror and you say, Lord, I remember. I remember what you put in my heart when I was 10 or 12 or 20. 
And Lord, I've been kind of playing with it, but Lord, I'm here to say, Lord, I'm ready to put on my, my kingly ephod. I'm ready to see me the way you see me, and I'm ready to move forward in 2023, and let's forget 2022. Amen. Glory to God. You may think your anointing is dead, but you can't kill the anointing. You can't run from the anointing. You can't hide from the anointing. The anointing is there. The Bible says that when he puts it on you, it remains. Some of you need to quit trying to run from the anointing. Some of you's got callings and, ta- callings and talents that you need to tap into. You know them and you can halfway do some stuff. But if you let God do you and you quit trying to do you, woo! don't tell him what he can do with you and through you. Problem is, so many people stuck up on what I want. I want. I want to look good. I want to be. I want to be. I want to be the one everybody looks at and says, oh, "That's a good church," or "That's this," "That's other." That's that thing that's going to kill you. That's that thing that's dying inside and killing you. You need to get rid of that. You need to sever that. You need to do it like I did with that old that old board. I just took all them off, burnt them. It's called pride. I have to deal with my pride all the time. I don't know how you are. I don't know where it come from. I, I don't know because I ain't never been a man of much. But I'm telling you, pride's there. This is why it's pride's serious. You listen to me, pride's serious. Pride's the very thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven. It's the only sin we know of that was ever even around in heaven was pride. Tell me it ain't real. If you make little comments and little remarks about you and what you can do, you got a pride problem. You got a pride issue. That's pretty tough this morning. No, I want you to come into your vision. I want you to get rid of that that's killing you, that that's decaying, that that, that cancer that's in you that's going to eat and eat and eat. It killed Lucifer, spiritually speaking. Come on, think about it. Pride killed Lucifer, spiritually speaking. Got him kicked out of heaven. Praise the Lord. You can even deny that your anointing exists. You can, you can believe whatever you want to tell yourself. But the Bible's full of mentions and times he anointed people. And you can say the anointing's not real. That really doesn't exist. Well, you can believe the life you so choose. But I choose to believe the word of the Lord. That when he said in John... That when he anointed me, it remains on me. I may go left and I should have went right. I may stop and I should have kept going. I may keep going when I should have stopped. But guess what? That anointing is still there. Come on. Notice two things that David did to strengthen himself. And I'm going to get ready to close. Somebody, will you come on up? <clears throat> if you're new today, I usually do that a couple hours before I close. The first thing that David did to strengthen himself was this. He realized he was still called by God. And when you realize you're called by God, that brings confidence. Come on. Most of you in this room, hello, are slow on self-confidence. The rest of you are prideful. Come on. 
We got to get to where we're confident in the Lord, in the Holy Ghost, in the Spirit of the Lord, not in what you look like, how you sound when you sing or when you preach or what you show up in, what clothing, where you bought your clothes. Stop all that foolishness, it's killing you. It's deadness, it's decay, it's rot. It's killing your life. It's killing you. It's killing your vision. And one of these days, you're going to get so old, your vision's still going to be there. And you're going to say, man, if I, could, if I would have just listened to that, my pastor a long time ago, I could at least have the last few years in this vision God called me to. Don't ever think that you're too late to start your vision. Are you hearing me? It's never too late. I don't care if you're 28 or 108. If God's gave you another year in life, guess what? He can do more in that year than you can do in 20 years. So David, first thing he done, he realized he was still chosen by God. And that brings that confidence. Let me tell you a little story about an NBA basketball player named Bill Russell. Most of you don't even know who that is. If you're a sports fanatic, you may. Bill Russell was in the 50s and 60s in that area right there. Bill Russell was 6 foot 11 inches tall. Great basketball player for the most part. Bill Russell was known for his rebounding. Bill Russell was, I mean, he was a rebounding machine. If there was 50 rebounds in a game by a team, Bill Russell would have 40 of them. I mean, Bill Russell was the man. And in the 60s, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics, whom Bill Russell played for, were in a championship game and there was 12 seconds. 12 seconds. 12 seconds. There was 12 seconds left in the game. The Los Angeles Lakers was down by one point. You think, well, that's 12 seconds. That's a, long, that's a long time, 12 seconds. Most of us can't get to that door in 12 seconds. We're so out of shape. The ball was going to be given at the far end of the court, away from the Lakers to go. And any smart basketball coach knows this. You go into the game and you want to know everybody's weaknesses and everybody's strengths. And the coach from the Los Angeles Lakers looked down and said, hmm, Bill Russell stinks at shooting free throws. Guess who we're going to foul, boys? Bill Russell. He had the worst field goal percentage of anybody on the court that day. Logical choice, right? Coach says, I'm sure in his huddle, whatever you do, take Bill Russell out. Foul him. I don't care if you run, jump on him, do something. But get the referee's attention and foul him. And let's put him on the line. That gives us a chance. That's our only hope. Because, see, if the Celtics threw the ball in away from the Lakers' gold, they could stall for 12 seconds. They had to foul and foul quickly. And they did. They ran it and they fouled Bill Russell. And the Los Angeles Lakers fans and teams said, oh, yeah, we're going to get the ball back. He's going to line. An intentional foul is worth two free shots. So he goes to line. And here's what the coach is probably thinking. And everybody, well, if he hits one, we're tied. But the chances are we're going to get the ball back because we get to line up next to the goal. See, it's... Uh, Lakers, Celtics, Lakers, and so forth. 
So you get a little advantage. And they were banking on Bill Russell missing his field goal. And so Bill Russell, kind of an odd, weird kind of free throw shooter. Probably why he wasn't any good. No. 6'11". He could probably almost reach from the free throw line and drop it in the goal. And the weirdest shot, the ball goes in. Now they're up, Celtics are up two points. The chances of the Celtics winning have greatly reduced, have been reduced because Bill Russell, the worst free throw thrower, made a goal. So he gets another shot, right? He gets a shot, takes the basketball, does his unusual squat, hold the basketball here and shoot with one hand kind of thing. And the ball goes in the air, straight through the hoop. He made two in a row. You know what that did to the Los Angeles Lakers' hope? Sucked it right out of the arena. Because now they had to possess the ball twice, not once. Because, see, they're already down by one. Now they're down by three. There was no three-point plays at that time. After the game, Bill Russell was interviewed, and they asked him this question. Made a few statements like, you know, your statistics say that you are the worst free throw shooter. It's really not what you want to say to a six foot eleven guy. Uh-huh. What, what was it that come on you or what, how did you make those shots? He said this. I knew when I went to the line, when pressure's on me is when I perform the best. He said, if pressure hadn't been, I would have missed both of them. But under pressure is when I work the most. He said, they said, why is that? He said this, because I know that the team's success is riding on me. And he made both those shots. Maybe here's what we need to take from Bill Russell. He had confidence. Maybe this is what we need to take from Bill Russell. It ain't about you. It's about him. It's about what the church do. Maybe if you start looking at it from kingdom mindedness, you'll start performing better. You'll start stepping into your anointing. You'll start saying, Lord, I know what you got. And it don't look right. It don't feel right. I'm not in the spotlight. But Lord, if it's for you, I'll do it. I just felt a weird spirit hit me. And some of you just said it's not about performance. You're absolutely right. It's not about your performance. See, you got that pride thing going on. It's about what you do in him and through him. It's about what God does through you. Quit thinking about you. Think about him. Get him in the center. Get the vision of Christ. Get the vision of what Christ wants for this world. That's why we can't see any result of what God wants to do. We got our will and his will and we want to do ours and not his. He's got a vision. We got one. And we say they're contrary to each other. And we wonder why God won't show up. Because the Bible says if you ask amiss, why should you get anything? Let's start lining up with what God wants. This is real simple. He wants us to win souls. Period. 
He wants to take the widows and orphans, period. He wants us to come and love on the church. He wants us to be part of the church. Heard someone say it this way. I don't know who come up with it, but said, you may not need the church, but the church needs you. So many of you sitting in this room that's got talents and anointings and won't use them for nothing. You sit on them, you'd rather have your arms and legs cut off before you used your anointing. Shame on you. Shame on you. You're ta- we're talking about serving the Lord. We're talking about p- completing a vision that God has given for this church, for this community. Shame on you for holding out on God. You're not holding out on us. You're not holding out on me as a pastor. You're not holding out on children. You're holding out on God. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening me this morning. I know it's the first, first uh, Sunday of the year. It gets better. I got 51 more of these things, don't I? Church, I'm telling you, what's God giving you? Well, I just dislike this and this and this about the church. I don't like, that's why I don't give my stuff. That's why I don't do my, my uh, practice this and do this for you. And it's a, well, you ain't doing it for me anyway, number one. And number two, if you got that attitude, you are a miserable, miserable person. I guarantee it. When are we going to start saying, God, it's not about me. There's people, listen to me, and I'm going to close. I got 12 minutes before 12, and I'll, I'll, I'll try not to keep us too long. When are we going to start thinking of it this way, Matt? If I don't do my part and get out here and start witnessing, there's people going to go to hell on my watch. You can't save a soul. You personally cannot save anyone. But you can talk to him and tell him about Jesus and he's able to save. His arm is not too short that he would leave you. He is there. He is able, more than willing. The work's been done on the cross to save whomever will call upon the name of the Lord. And it is up to us. The world's pounding our kids. The world's pounding your homes through what you watch on television, what you listen to on the radio. He's pounding in. He's pounding. The enemy's pounding and he's pounding, trying to wipe away anything that's Christian, anything that's God. And we sit back and say, well, the preacher will give us what we need when we get to church. And if he don't, praise God, it's his fault. Well, honey, you got another thing coming. It is not my job to keep you saved, to keep you entertained, to make you enjoyable when you come to church. It's not even my job to help prepare, make business decisions so we can have cushions for you to sit on. That is the furthest thing from my job. It's not even your job. Your job, sir or ma'am, is to win souls. You get on fire for God, people will come whether there's padded pews or they're not padded pews. They'll come with air conditioners on or whether it's not on. When we get a revelation of who God is in our lives and what God can do, it's not about the stuff, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we'll begin to make it about him and get back to him, guess what? People will come and they'll get saved because they see something that they want. The paranormal world 
is at a skyrocketing pace right now. Paranormal things on TV and, and all of that. The spirit world is such a phenomenon to people right now. You know why? It's not because the devil is running rampant. You know what it is? It's because there's something inside of every person, every man, woman, and child. There's something on the inside of us that's reaching out for something that they cannot find. And it is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and until the church gets up and shows them where it is. They'll keep looking. They'll keep looking at the psychics. They'll keep going to the palm readers. That's where they're going to go trying to find spiritual satisfaction. And it is not there. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in the Savior that I met. It is in that one that come and knelt down with me when I knelt down one day. And when I asked the Lord to forgive me of my sins, he said, your sins are forgiven and I forget them. Praise the Lord. He don't even remember them anymore. I used to be convicted. I'd go to the Lord and I'd say, Lord, oh, please forgive me of this. He said, what? You know, Lord, what I did last year, I can't get back. What? Praise God. I don't really care this year if you're entertained or you're not. Doesn't make me any difference. If you come and you get entertained, it's it's entertainment because the Holy Ghost entertains your heart and your spirit. Not because I did it. Not because of the worship team. Not because of a program. It is because he did it. But whether you're comfortable or not, I I do not care. You know what I'm caring about? Souls. Souls are going to die and go to hell. If we don't get out and do what God's called us to do. The harvest is ripe. R.T. Spivey, it's white under harvest, isn't it? When the wheat is white under harvest, it is at the last possible moment that you can harvest it and it be any good. Think about that, you farmers around in here. It's green, it's yellow, it's golden yellow, and then it turns white. And that, if you don't get it then, and the Bible says, not Pastor Marty, but the Bible says that the harvest is white under harvest. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the field to do what? Stand there and criticize and look at why we don't have this one. No, to start putting in the sickle and start harvesting the ripe, ready to be harvested souls. It's that time. Stand with me across the building. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.